Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode. You know what's not smart? Getting all your news from YouTube. You know what is smart? Hiring with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large at Recode. You may know me as Michael Barbaro's arch nemesis, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview I conducted at the 92nd Street Y in New York City called The Age of Podcast Journalism with Michael Barbaro, who is the host of the New York Times popular podcast, The Daily. This was an event put on by XYZ, which is a new free membership group for forward-thinking individuals in generations X, Y, and Z that the 92nd Street Y launched in March. I don't know which one of those I'm in. I may be in part of X. Not definitely not. I have children in Z. But anyway, XYZ puts you up close and personal with the people, ideas, and conversations and performances shaping culture. There are some great upcoming guests, such as Pod Save America's Dan Pfeiffer, the former White House Director of Communications under President Obama, who will talk with SNAP's Peter Hamby. New York Times investigative reporter and recent Pulitzer winner Jody Cantor will talk with actor, director, and hashtag Time's Up Now founding member Amber Tamblin. Jody will also talk with Brian Kelly, also known as the Points Guy, who was voted Forbes number one travel influencer in 2017. But now let's go to the 92nd Street Y in New York City for my conversation with Michael Barbaro from the New York Times, The Daily Podcast. Hello. Hello. Ah. All right, we've been, uh, we've been gossiping backstage, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, so... Let's get started. I, I asked, I was just... Um, Kara, thank you for having me. No problem, anytime. Um, I have so many questions, Michael. Um, let's begin with how you started this, because I think most people don't realize your history and, you know, when you acquired those hip glasses and slow-moving voice. But let's talk about <laughs> before that. Let's talk about before that, when you started off. Yeah, you were I, a first of all, I acquired the glasses a long time ago, and they're, they're kind of falling apart. Right, okay. Inside. All right. Anyway... Um, how did I... One more time. Okay. How, let's talk about your history. You yeah. have been a reporter for most of your career. Yes. Talk about all that. Of, all how of did career. you get to that and you were in politics? I mean, I've been a reporter since I was in high school. Okay. I have always wanted to work at a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I always have worked at a newspaper. I've had the most single-track career of anybody I know. Mm-hmm. And that started because I, I delivered a newspaper when I was in middle school. I actually delivered a newspaper with my sister. Okay. And it was the New Haven Register. Okay. Paper that's fallen on pretty hard times. Mm-hmm. And every weekday at 6 a.m. we delivered this newspaper. And it was a family project. My parents had a Subaru station wagon, as people do in Connecticut. Yeah, okay. And uh, we would put the paper together on Sundays and actually deliver it out of the hatchback, open door of the station wagon, kind of crawling along the streets, and we'd get the paper and we'd deliver it. And I became entranced by newspapers, even the New Haven Register, which is not an especially good newspaper. I just loved cracking open the newspaper. A physical newspaper. The smell, it was tactile. Yeah. It was was tactile. It was invigorating to literally deliver the news. And I was hooked really early. 
And uh, you know, a big moment in my life was the day that my, my mother started subscribing to the New York Times. Mm -hmm. um, I say my mother because my father still doesn't really like the New York Times. Right. Um, sometimes. Um, he's a Fox News watcher and he really objects. He really well, objects it's to the op -ed. My, mo my mother's a Fox News lover. And, yeah. And does not Nothing wrong with Fox News. I'm just saying that really? it's a. Uh, I mean, we can that's a whole other discussion. But it's, right. but the, the point is, he he calls me. He says, Mike. I don't understand what Krugman's saying. I don't. You know. So that's like, kind of, and he thinks that that's the New York Times, right? Which is okay. a whole other complicated issue of right. op-ed versus okay. news. But anyway, um, the Times becomes papers. very important. To, to, to my career as just a young reader. Right. I'm delivering the register, but I'm reading the Times. I'm cheating on the register. And then... What did you like at the Times when you were... What, what did you read? What inspired what, you? I just loved... I loved everything about it. I loved the fonts. I loved the little lines. I even loved the... I mean, I got obsessed with the smallest elements of it. Right. You know, remember the sort of Christmas Day? Remember the neediest banner across the top? Not even slightly. Not even slightly. <laughs> so um, when, I, when I got into high school, my best friend and I... So wait, you're talking about everything but the actual news? But go ahead. No, I mean, I just... I, I loved the... I mean, I loved the story. I, I actually, but I really even loved, like, all the ornamentation and the architecture of it. I mean, I was deep in. Of mm -hmm. course, I, I take for granted I loved the way stories were being told. I love the great features. I love the, what I, my friends and I at the times jokingly call the old suitcase leads mm -hmm. where, you know, you have six clauses mm -hmm. and 75 words, everything, everything you can stuff into a suitcase. Right, right. And, you know, we sort of learned how to think and write through reading these big, wonderful New York Times right. sweeping assessments of the news. And in high school, I actually started an underground newspaper with my, with my best friend at the time, Ross Douthat, who's now a columnist. We mm -hmm. went to high school together. And um, we borrowed every single element of the Times in our little fake underground newspaper. Everything what we was it called? Um, fake underground newspaper? It was called La Verite. What? The truth. La, La oh, Verite. I know what it means. Oh, yes, good. Well, of course you do. <laughs> I you never know, like, Latin. It was more like a what, you've got to be kidding me. But, okay. Um, but, yeah. Um, so, the verite, and what... It, what it was great, very, we were very self-serious young What men. truth did you bring to your high school? In French, en français. Yes. Um, the, tr the funny thing about it is we didn't always bring the truth. Right. Uh, we... We didn't really know what we were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, we would there would be investigations we would do that yeah. were not always so investigative. Like what? So this sounds so goofy, but neither Ross nor I were especially popular, attractive, uh -huh. uh, or physically. I literally can't imagine my with running La Verite, but go <laughs> ahead. So um, one of the first big investigations we did was about athletes who were being recruited. Oh. for the Hamden Hall Country Day School basketball team and soccer team, and were they meeting the standards of admissions? Oh. And, uh, which is what two nerdy, concavely skinny, yeah. you know, guys yeah. investigate. Wow. And, um... That's like the plot of a Michael Lewis book, but go ahead. Keep you know, and we did things like, you know, La Verite has learned. Has learned, right. Um, but we would borrow all the little, like, mm -hmm. lines, and, and, you know, we I was so obsessed with making sure that the fonts and everything looked just like the Times yeah. in our little 8.5 by 11 broadsheet, La Verite. Right. So, it was very successful. I think we had about 120 copies a uh, week. Every, every couple of So you of worked months. on it all the time. Yeah, well, we also ran the regular newspaper. Oh. So it was ridiculous. I mean, we ran the official high school newspaper, and then we ran the underground newspaper, too. And then, of course, this, this is how egomaniacal we were. We would actually have spats created between the two newspapers, and we would cover them oh. in the newspapers, <laughs> even though we were the two newspapers. So, Do you have a different name? 
No, I just, we were, an, well, we were anonymous in the underground newspaper. Yeah, like I Michelle Barbaro. No, no, no names. <laughs> no names. No names. No, it was just anonymous. Oh. Yeah, which was very But everybody knew, right? We were so far ahead of our time in terms of anonymous sources. Okay, all right, um, okay. But no, it was, it was it, okay. it, looking back on it, it was reckless. I mean, okay. we, should, we should have been, we should have put our names on things. Oh my goodness, just But relax. we were kids. Okay, okay. I know, right, I feel guilty okay. about it. Okay, um, well, we've cracked that one wide open. Um, so you got to college. <laughs> You got to college. I did get to college. Okay, and you left behind La Verite in your high school newspaper. Yeah. You'd, same thing. Yeah, and I started just, I picked up the next newspaper, which was mm -hmm. the Yale Daily News. And okay. that was my college experience, was the, was the college newspaper. And because I grew up in New Haven, and my father was a firefighter in the city, my interest gravitated towards politics. And mm -hmm. I, I wanted to cover City Hall. The prestigious jobs you were supposed to do when you went to Yale and you worked at the Yale News were covering Yale. But right. I had no interest. I covered the city. And yeah. that began a that began a lifelong interest in politics. In politics. And how did you get to the New York Times then? Did you go through the typical washing machine in, the, in our days? I think we were around the same age. Um, we were kids, yeah, of internships. Yeah, yeah of internships yeah. and small newspapers and small yes. towns. Yes, lots of internships. Every, you know, every summer you had to you know, fill out 25 applications and you heard from three newspapers. Right. My favorite rejection letter was from the Wall Street Journal because I had misspelled a word. Yeah. Um, and I actually always admired that. Yeah. Um, they shouldn't have hired you. Um, so, um, so you got get to the Times and you're covering. How did you get to the Times from? From the Washington Post. The first job I got out of college mm -hmm. was uh, was at the Washington Post as a business reporter. Mm -hmm. I covered the local biotechnology industry in wow. Maryland. Mm -hmm. You may remember some of the names of the companies that have since gone bust. Yes, I do. I worked um, as a business reporter for the Washington Post, so I know. I, knew, I actually yes, knew that. I yeah, they were, Washington was booming in that era. Right. The, the biotechnology and the tech yep. industry was was blossoming. Um, and the business section was flush with advertising until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I started working there, and I, and I, I stumbled into the local retail beat. Mm -hmm. and this, was, this was my big breakthrough. I was covering the two big grocery chains in Washington. Giant Food? Giant Food and Safeway. Safeway. Yeah. And I chronicled them aggressively. Ah. Um, <laughs> and Walmart was coming into all these communities. And yeah. my, my ticket out of Washington, and, and probably the most important job I've ever done, was covering... Walmart. Right. Um, and what was going on, I won't bore you too much with the details, but as I was covering the local grocery chains, they were fighting Walmart. I got right. interested in they Walmart. They came in. And what was going on in Washington at that time, and you had to be there covering the local grocery industry, was that two major unions in the country started groups that existed purely to antagonize and, and unionize Walmart. Mm -hmm. And they started becoming the recipient of lots of leaked internal documents and intelligence about Walmart. And I would just visit with them and got to and know them, and, and I was there and at the right it. moment and yeah. chronicled all that. Yeah. And so we, you know, we, we did big investigative pieces like, like a memo written by the board of directors of Walmart, which was sent to, to me, in which you know, their board of directors suggested that they get their least healthy, overweight employees to push carts out in the parking lot okay. to lose weight. And so, you know, story, it was the stories like that that yeah. kind of were breaking through. And one day, the retail reporter from the New York Times, when I was in Bentonville, Arkansas with her, whispered into my ear that she was leaving the Times and said, you should apply for this job. Right, which you did. did. So you got to the Times and you were covering retail and other things. So, yes. But then you got into politics. Yes. Were, which was covering different campaigns and mm -hmm. everything. Um, how long did you do that for? I covered politics for about... Eight years at the Times. Eight years. First at City Hall, Mike Bloomberg as mayor, mm -hmm. and then Mitt Romney's campaign for president. Mm -hmm. A lot of long investigative pieces about Governor Romney. Mm -hmm. um, and then Donald Trump, and, and then 2016. And you covered Trump. Trump I campaign. wrote investigative pieces about uh, his business 
mm-hmm. life and his relationship with women, his, right. his, his kind of personal interactions with women. Um, in some ways, we were ahead of our time in, in those pieces. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's brutal writing about that kind of stuff with him because mm-hmm. he gets on the phone and just, just screams. He screamed at us yeah. and told us everything. And, and he, has a, he has a fascinating system. I don't think it's all that well understood where he just archives everything. I mean, if, if you go into Trump Tower, there's, it just seems like there's just a room of clips. Where, where every letter that was written to him or phone call or email, because anytime we would, we would bring um, forth a woman who had claims against him, they'd say, well... What about this email she wrote to me in 25 years ago saying X? So I was fascinated by... I mean, it's, it's much like he handles media and stories now very aggressively. So how hard was it to... I want to get to how you got to the Daily, and we want to get to the Daily yes. and how it's put together, but you were in the area that's the hottest area right now. Like, essentially, you're covering what is arguably the most important story of yeah. this era, at least. Why, why not would you do leave? that? Yeah, why would you yeah. leave it? So it's really interesting. Um, a couple things happened. One is, you know, the campaign was what it was, which was an outcome that completely surprised us. I mean, mm-hmm. the night of the election, I, I had no job that night. I covered, I was covering Trump, uh, you know, and the, Demo- the people covering the Democrats. That, this was their night. Right. They had pre-written a giant, amazing suitcase lead in the New York Times about, about Hillary Clinton winning. And um, at around 9 p.m. I saw the meter. We all saw the friggin' meter. We saw the meter. That night, I was called in at 9 o'clock to write a Trump win story. It was very unexpected. And I I was really thrown, not just by the result, but by a sense that that I had not really done my job very well and that I had kind of missed something essential. Mm -hmm. I mean, how could I spend 18 months covering a campaign and not have understood what was going on. Right. And that was a real wake-up call for me. And, I, and it was a, after the campaign, I sort of didn't the, want to go... the feeling across the country? Yeah. Or, or All, the, I mean, a lot of it. No, no, misunderstanding just the basic dynamics of the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not being journalistically on top of it as much as I wish. Yeah, it was an interesting dynamic with the reporters. I remember being, when he first announced it was at a dinner party in Washington, D.C., and it was a lot of uh, campaign journalists were there. And he had just announced, and I was like... God, he's an interesting candidate, isn't mm-hmm. he? And they're like, he's a clown. Like, the whole thing, this and that. And what was interesting about it is I was like, uh, I kind of find him interesting. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm a lesbian from San Francisco and I find him interesting. So I think you, like, why? There's something of visceral yeah. Well, because he's extre- he is extremely... Right, and his, some of his messaging was inter- interesting to me, especially I have a lot of relatives in, in the Midwest. And, um, and they were just dismissing and they kept saying the Republican mm-hmm. Party won't let this happen. And I was like, what are they going to do? Shoot him? Like, what's the plan? Like, I don't get it. And it, I remember them making me feel stupid, like, for asking questions yeah. like that. And, and it, was a, it was a dynamic like that. You know, why should you feel stupid for finding out? I mean, so all those things were in the air. And I, and I, I felt like it was time for a change. I mean, right. It was really humbling. Right. And simultaneously... But you didn't do a good job covering... You missed... The essential election, and you missed. I think that's. Him? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. That's how you felt. I did, I, and I want to be clear because about this is about me. I mean, the Times. You, you can have lots of opinions about the way the whole Times covered the election. I think we did it with great distinction. I'm really proud of a lot of the work I did, and everybody else I work with did. Just myself, I felt this deep kind of sense of alienation from my own work, and mm-hmm. you know, what should I be doing next? So. And it was a, It was during this period that I had been part-time hosting a podcast about the campaign called The Mm Run-Up. And that was my first taste of audio and feedback in audio and the power of audio. And we'll talk about this. But Mm -hmm. that suddenly looked like something that was a deeper form of connection to the news. It was, you know, 
a different way of seeing the story, of engaging it, that felt richer and more human and authentic and, and kind of realer. Mm-hmm. Um, less me, as a journalist, imposing right. a story right. and the story being told more organically. Right. And so the combination of that experience... And it was just an interview show? You just said you were on... It was, it was an interview show. It had seeds of, of what The Daily became. We would often do kind of narrative storytelling or we would have a single idea or theme that we would carry through multiple segments of an episode of the run-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started to tap into this vast resource of the New York Times newsroom and found out that you know, people like Maggie Haberman and Pat Healy and Nick Confessori and Glenn Thrush, they were really compelling, right. that people wanted to hear from them. So that was, there were lots of epiphanies along the way. So the combination of feeling pretty unsettled and humbled by the election and finding that audio was really powerful meant that And you had when, done no audio before. I had done no audio, no. And I don't really listen to podcasts mm-hmm. other than, you know, I mean, I do now. Other than to yours every day, you listen to your... I, do, I, I, I really do listen to The Daily every day. Oh, do you? Yeah. And I do, listen to other, I do listen to other podcasts now. Yeah. But I get teased a lot by the people on The Daily team by how little... I mean, in audio, everyone knows episodes of This American Life yeah. and Reply All, and they can sort of talk about them with great effect. I mean, the way we talk about episodes of... The, I would talk about episodes of The Sopranos or Seinfeld right. or whatever, or Mad Men... And I couldn't engage in that conversation with them. Right. But, but you find yourself fascinating. Oh, yeah. Good. Um, so, so you started to do the right thing. Oh, there's so many more to come. Um, I just think of them right off the top of my head. Um, it comes so naturally. It really does. Um, so so you, you started to do the run-up. How did it shift into the daily? What was the thing? Because this has been the most important product from the New York Times, I think. Most innovative, well, it thank certainly you feels saying. like it. Uh, well, once, once the run-up needed to end, because you can't be the run-up to yeah. something once it's happened. It ran. It ran. It upped and it ran <laughs> and it was out. And, um, and Trump's, I mean, Trump's victory, without Donald Trump winning this election, I don't know that you have the daily. Because... The world suddenly looked incredibly confusing mm-hmm. and complicated and, and in need of a lot of explanation and new forms of storytelling. And once he won, and we had this like three-month period and we decided the run-up needed to go away, uh, the people behind the run-up and the executive producer of, of New York Times Audio, Lisa Tobin, decided that maybe we should have a daily show. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, we're a daily newspaper. Could we make a daily audio show? Right. No one had ever done, no one had ever made an, a daily short form on-demand podcast right. show before. Right. I mean, there's, there's of course Morning Edition and right. Things Considered and there's great podcasts out there and she proposed the question, could we do this every day? Right. And because I'd been hosting the run-up, uh, she and the, not and the daily. editors... Was that at, daily? No, that was twice a week. Twice a week. Um, she said, would you, you know, would you think about doing this? And I played coy and pretended, I'm not sure, but I really wanted to do it. But you didn't want to cover, yeah. yeah. So uh, you, you really wanted, you didn't want to cover, go into politics at all. You didn't want to go to the White House or... I didn't, and, and partly because of that, that sense of kind of alienation from the, from the print storytelling that I started to feel, I, I, yeah. I felt it was time to do something else. We're going to take a quick break now from a word from our sponsors. We'll return to this live interview with The Daily's Michael Barbaro from The New York Times after this. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audiobooks are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, sunbathing on the beach, running, road tripping, enjoying downtime, outdoors, and more. You can binge the audiobooks you love 
while doing the things you love. And Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. That includes books from people you've heard on Recode Decode, like Bad Blood by John Carreyhew, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, and Asking for a Friend by Jessica Weisberg. Audible helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. And Audible members get a credit every month, good for any audiobook in the store, regardless of price. Unused credits roll over to the next month. If you don't like your audiobook, you can exchange it, no questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. Go to audible.com slash decode or text decode to 500-500 to get started. You'll get a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash decode or text decode to 500-500. So the transition from writing to doing this. So you started, how did you develop your audio skills and what was the thinking behind the original daily? Because it really clicked immediately with people. Yeah. Why do you think that is? And talk about how you put it together. Sure. I, should, I guess I could talk, should talk a little bit about kind of what the idea of the daily is, mm-hmm. because we spent a lot of time workshopping the daily mm-hmm. and figuring out what it should sound like and what it should be. Mm-hmm. And we came up with this idea that there exists already a lot of great narrative audio storytelling. And by that, right. I mean this American life. You know, right. one hour, an amazing long story, sure. something, something that feels like a documentary in audio form. And there exists lots of short form news. Mm-hmm. And our idea was to just marry these two things. Why can't the news feel like narrative story? Right, but in a shorter... But in a short form. And when we say narrative and news, what we mean is that you're not just going to give the news up front mm-hmm. and talk about it for 15 or 20 minutes. Right, right. You're going to treat the news, because all, all great stories have a narrative arc to them, Sure. with the idea that there's suspense. So what are you going to tell people at the start of a story versus the end? Mm -hmm. Where's the epiphany? Where's the emotional kind of like moment in the piece? Um, And and we spent a lot of time flushing that out. And the fact that Donald Trump was suddenly about to be our president meant that there were going to be lots of big, complicated stories to dissect. Right. And so that's how we constructed it. Off the news was a critical element. It it had to be off the news. And not a read it. And then discuss it, kind of. Yes, thing. and 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 not just taking a print story and making it right. an audio, which story. often is done. That's which is often done. So so one of the th- we we called ourselves an audio first show. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I never understood what that meant, but now I sounds do. Sounds good. Yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. Which is, um, you know, journalists who come on the daily don't refer to a story. Right. They don't say, well, as I said in my story, because it's an audio show. So they're telling a story in audio form. And it took us a while to train our colleagues right. to tell stories on the daily. You use Times journalists. Not always. We, we almost, we almost exclusively day. use Times journalists and real people. You, yeah, you bring in the people that were in the yeah, story. Yeah, we bring in the characters in the story. And so it took us a while because guests would come on the show and we would have this great script that we had developed and, and, and they would just vomit out the story right. in one answer. Right. And we would, okay, we have to roll that back. We have to try that again. We have to tell, and it took us a while to train both ourselves and the guests to the tell stories. The Times. The Times. Yes, the yes. Um, is there, so as you're, as you're doing this, you also developed a style that mm-hmm. people, when I went out on Twitter, I said, what questions do you have for Michael Barbaro? And they, they, they were all like the voice. I need to understand what the hell he's doing with that voice. Some were nicer than others. Yeah. Um, but it's why Twitter. Is that, for example, why does it seem sometimes <laughs> like there are gaps in the question? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you work on that in front of the mirror? What no. was the deal? Are you trying to that's do an Ira Glass or an NPR? I'm formulating, I'm formulating a question in right. my head. Right. And so that's you're how just it so you're just slow. Like. 
Apparently. Yeah. yeah. So, but were you actually doing it? Come on, come on. Do what? Just between us. The voice thing you did on purpose, right? Or not? No, I just did that. That's, there's a lot of things going on in the middle of a daily interview. Yeah. One is, for example, we're all working in a Google Doc. Right. Uh, the show does not get made without Google Docs. So right. This is like a deep shout out to Google right. for the Google Doc. And yeah, they need it. They're, they're they such need a tough it. They're business. <laughs> is, uh, they, so producers and I are in a document doing an interview, and uh-huh. we are revising things as we go. Right. So there, there have been occasions. If there's like an especially long Michael Barbaro gap, right. it may be because the words aren't there yet. I see. And so, so we're you're just th- waiting for someone else to or, type or we're formulating it together. Right. And. Um, but I'm. But that's a thing. I mean, so that was we, your style when you were an actual reporter. I. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. I know. You're going to. I need to know about the voice. Everyone asks me. About the, literally, there's no other question. I think. About it's, I think the, the biggest stories. reason why I talk the way I do. Right. Is because of my was because of my grandfather. All right. Who, when I was young, would critique any of the words that lots of people use, mm-hmm. um, like you know. And he, he just knocked it out of my vocabulary. So instead of doing those things, when there's a gap, which is a very natural... To say like or um... Or... I don't say anything. And so there are gaps. Wow. Because, because he somewhat traumatically would interject anytime. You know, <laughs> oh, when we God. were kids... It was so childhood trauma. Yeah. Right, good. Okay. So I would say, like, you know, you know Kara, like... He'd say, like what? Like what? What's good? What's good? And, and, and it just... It went away. Wow. So I don't use, the, I don't use any of those. That makes Christmas that's fun what... or whatever. <laughs> You could have gone silent, but he didn't, right? So I could have just gone mute. Mute, right, yeah. exactly. So, so you developed that, and it's your, sty- it's your style. It really is an interesting style. I mean, yes. I find it both intriguing at the same time. Every now and then, I'm like, land it, Michael. Yeah, say it. Like, <laughs> that's so, my, gra- my grandmother used to say that. Land say, it. Land it. Land it, Kara, right now. Land it. I mean, the only thing is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty cautious, I'm sort of a cautious person. Right. You are not. No, I'm not. And so I'm, I'm, there's a lot of anxiety and in, in sometimes in what I'm asking, am I asking it right? Am I, I mean, the James Comey interview was like the scariest thing I'd ever, I ever mm-hmm. did. Um, you know, because we're sitting there kind of psychoanalyzing him and, and right. saying, don't you see what the rest of us see? You don't. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But um, there's a trick we do in the audio editing of The Daily. Which right. is, and sometimes I'll listen to it myself. We'll, we'll, we'll group edit the show. And, and I'll say, Jesus, Michael, finish the, you know, and we'll just cut out the gap. Oh, okay. In our Google Docs, there's a word we use when I'm going on, Titan. Titan. And so the, some of the words, some of the, the dead air just comes out and yeah. speeds up. All right. So listen about selection, story selection. One of the things we were talking backstage is that like, if Trump does a tweet, which seems to be every five seconds, mm-hmm. um, you don't do that story. We don't do the Trump tweet story because there's no, there's no narrative tension. There's just nothing to say for 25 minutes about a, a tweet that the president sends. Mm-hmm. And also... You know, I, I'm really, I'm really allergic to coverage of things that are deliberately provocative. Mm-hmm. You know, if the president's going to go on Twitter and write something that's meant to provoke, because he never does that, never does that, then that's that's like a great cable news segment. Right. But for us, we want to tell a story with an idea and a character and an emotional journey, and tweets don't have those. Right. So I mean, what does? Definition. What does? What did you are the most successful ones? I mean, I'll just give you a classic example from this week that, that we came up with that I that I loved. You know, there's the attorney general announces a decision that domestic abuse will no longer be a yes. criteria for for granting asylum. Mm-hmm. And what we could have done is had a reporter on to talk about that policy, but instead, you know, it occurred to me. Let's let's find someone who did successfully apply for asylum with and what happened as a domestically abused person as a victim, 
And the producers searched you know, far and wide for a great character from Burkina Faso, a woman who was horrifically abused by her husband there and, and got asylum. And the whole episode will be telling her story. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. And it was a remarkable interview. It was really emotional. Um, she sang during the interview. I mean, we really like to do unexpected mm -hmm. things, unexpectedly human takes or really... On the, on this on the news, news, on the news. I mean, that was, I think, the most human and compelling version of that story you were going to hear. And it didn't, need, it, wasn't, it didn't need to be partisan and it didn't need to be full of conflict. It, it wasn't about Jeff Sessions and it wasn't about Donald Trump. It was about somebody who got in when the door was open. But in using her, you are. Exactly. And a lot of it is about the subtlety of what you don't say. We didn't need to... We didn't need to describe the policy in great depth and why did they decide it and who did, you know, who in the administration was for it and who was against it. Or what it. you thought this was, the, and, we de well, and we are rigorously, rigorously apolitical. I mean, well, we except you picked this woman, which is, we picked this woman. What I'm saying is we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't let our guests, with very few exceptions, uh, have opinions about the news. Right. You're just the, the occasional sure. exception is, you know, when a reporter, when a columnist like Nick Kristoff who knows the story of North Korea so well comes on. Yeah. He's a columnist. Right. But we're really sparing about that. And in fact, I mean, we did that episode and asked ourselves, like, well, that was a break from what we normally do. And right. We, I, I wonder, I mean, we can ask you guys what you think about it. But, um, but, but in we, that case, you interviewed her and not Jeff Sessions. Yes, or a reporter, yeah. Right. Yes. But and that's a different opinion. You could have gotten an opinion of things. We could. It's great. And, you know, we could, have, we could have interviewed somebody who had fraudulently claimed uh -huh. that, that they had suffered domestic abuse, because right. that's the argument on the other side. Right. And actually, we're going to revisit the subject because we want to better understand, is there a problem with mm -hmm. people claiming right. causes for asylum that aren't So are, do you consider yourself a news reporter now? Or, because you, you do take news and then add to it. Do you, add it do, you, do you consider yourself a breaking news person? That's a really great question. I don't, sometimes I wonder, I ask myself that question, am I, a am I a reporter right now? What am I? Am I a host? Am I a reporter? I don't know. You must answer that yourself. I actually don't have a great, I don't have a great answer to it. What I do you think you are? Besides one so, of people's sounds, most sexiest man. Yeah, exactly, right? That tells you everything you need to know about how generous that list is. Well, also Travis Kalanick from Uber was on it, but go ahead. <laughs> I see where you're going. Yeah. Um, this sounds like this sounds kind of um, like an inflated allegiance to the Times, but I think of the Daily and I think of my role as kind of as kind of curating the best storytelling at the paper mm -hmm. and bringing it to life in this new medium. And we didn't talk a lot about this, and we can talk about it in the Q and A. But you know, Times reporters who come on the Daily get such a higher volume of feedback, yeah, and and connect so Absolutely. much more richly to listeners than print stories. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it is. I, I think absolutely. That Audio is the most powerful thing. It's just thing the most powerful thing. Because Why you do really... you think that is? You, you, you have, you, we had another event with Michael and the fan base is crazy. Um, Why is mine, audio so mine is too. It's strange. It's a different relationship. People like hug you and want to, and I'm sure you get it like all the time. Hugs? No, but I mean, yes, you might. I get hugs. What do you, I don't seek them out in any way. But do you, what do you, what do you, how, why do you think of that connect? How do you look at that connection? I just Not just you, but the reporters that are on it. Yeah, I think there's something about hearing a voice and having that voice be stripped of visual elements. I mean, when I see an image, I, I make lots of judgments about, mm -hmm. you know, looks and you just, you know, the bright, shiny object stuff gets very distracting. 
and it's not as pure as just hearing someone tell their story. I mean, the human voice is really is frail and vulnerable and honest, mm -hmm. and it is what it is. I mean, think about why people are interested in my voice or your voice or anyone mm -hmm. else's voice. These, these totally distinctive voices. Donald Trump's voice is incredibly distinctive, mm -hmm. and people have strong reactions to it. When you strip away everything else but the voice, and you have the intimacy of these earbuds, or you're in your car at 5 a.m. on a dark road listening, mm -hmm. there's just something pure about it. Yeah. So where do you go from here with this? You, you, don't, you don't have a weekend show. Are you going to have a weekend show? We don't have a weekend show. We More might hosts? have a weekend show. Well, right now, The Daily started in February of 2017, mm -hmm. and so I guess it's been a year and a half now, and the audience grew very quickly. Mm -hmm. and we could actually What's the number now? The, uh, every day, yeah, it's 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 about uh, one. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it's, it's a, on, on a given day, the down number of downloads is is about one point, you know, one million. Right, it's a lot. Yeah, something like that. Um, and and the business, the business, thank you. the business is advertising on either side, right? Correct. Yes, uh, the, the, there's advertising in the middle of a show. There's a single ad, which you do not read, which many I read. Ads, but you don't. There's a big debate in our world of audio about whether hosts should read ads. And uh, over at Vox, there's a, there's a wonderful show, for example, uh, Today Explained, mm -hmm. uh, a rival daily show, and the host reads an ad yeah. about mattresses. Yeah. Um, which is extremely, which is actually very, he, he, he find, he's found so many creative ways to talk about mattresses. Right. And, um, and the Pod Save America guys. Yeah, they do it. They, do. Talk, they, they talk about their it's products. It's an interesting debate. It's a question of. At the, at the New York Times, there's just, there is no debate. I mean, right. it's not considered you shall not be ethical for me to, to read an ad about a product. And I understand why. They want because, you to do that. You know, for I mean, example, the Advertisers want. Advertisers it. like it because it's a deeper bond. You mm -hmm. know, I'm, you know, you and I have a relationship with listener, and we're mm -hmm. supposed to transfer that over to BMW mm -hmm. or whatever. But if I talk about a car, and then the next day there's a recall, mm -hmm. and why? I mean, that gets pretty complicated. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I mean, it's a debate that I think will rage for a long time. It's interesting because I think ultimately you'll be reading ads eventually. You think I will? Yeah, yeah. And you, I know that, but I'm just, uh, it's just, it's an interesting time. It's a, it's a, and it's, it's an interesting time, let's just say. I, yeah. Um, so what about the weekend uh, daily? Yes? No? No, we talked, we, we talked about this idea of a weekend show. The reality is that the daily takes a lot out of everybody. Involved, yeah, you guys it? work it's a, like it's crazy. It's a crusher. Yeah. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about the actual schedule, but what we have decided the future of the daily is involves kind of curated miniseries shows like right. Caliphate, right. Which, is a, is about... which is an extraordinary show about, uh, about ISIS. I hope you guys have listened to it. So these and... are short series. It's really great. It's by? Uh, this, oh. this is hosted by uh, Rukmini Kalamaki and a mm -hmm. colleague of mine on The Daily, Andy Mills. And, and what happens is we, we have created a, a deep listenership. And why would we create a separate feed unrelated to the daily and, and hope that people find it, we can use the platform of the daily right. to launch these shows that feel like the daily but are really different than the daily. But they're shorter too. They're shorter in length. They're, they're also short like the daily yeah. but they might come no, out No, but I mean for a length of time will the... Well, they that, might run for as long as they need to run, six or seven episodes. Right, but not, they're, they're smaller series, right? That's right. They're not going to be year-long series. Right, yeah. every day kind of thing. Yeah. It's well, a nice the, way to the, test the things the, out too. It's a great way to test things out. I mean, the original question about the New York Times audio world is, should we do a culture show? Should we do a film show? Well, should we do a sports show? We, and the reality is, you know, you can really quickly, you can just break your back trying to make all those shows, and, and, you, and, and they, they might not be that good. And you can and also How much is there to say the about, about you know, one of these subjects every day? Right. Or even once a week? Right. What about video? 
Should we bring video into the daily? Yeah, or do a video show. I know you guys are talking about it. it it's yeah, well, the Times has announced this. They're doing, yeah. a, they're doing a weekly right, the documentary-style show. show. Is that, are you involved in that? I'm not involved in that show. But it's not, is it like the daily, or is it... A well, it's called the weekly. Okay. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. Which I thought was pretty clever. Yeah, yeah. Why aren't you involved in this? Um, You're marginally good-looking. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. Because I don't think the show's going to have a... I don't think the show's going to have a host. Oh. Okay. I think it's going to be hostless. Right, okay. Yeah. And also, I don't think I could possibly do any, any more than the day. Right, right. But, you, but the, the same idea is telling these stories through, yes. through reporters. Now, you talked about that people being in their ears, like certain characters. Are there reporters that people really like? Would you bring back again, like characters? Yes. Like? Yes. Well, we, can't, we don't have Maggie Haberman on enough for listeners. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. they really love her. Yeah. Um, Matt Apuzo, who's become one of my... I didn't know a lot of my colleagues right. until I hosted The Daily because they were in Washington. Mm -hmm. But um, Matt Apuzo is just... He's the most generous, why, why amazing like storyteller. Why does he like to listeners? Because he has a huge energy and he's really playful. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we, we decided to do very early on when we made the show was to keep some of these spontaneous moments between... Yeah, the you. people on the show. Right. You know, there was one. There was an episode where Maggie Maggie didn't know we were recording her singing. She was just singing. <laughs> okay. And we kept it. And or Matt will come on and be I'm really. I'm sure she loved that. Did she like it? I didn't tell Maggie that we were going to keep that until about 11 p.m. at night. Yeah. Um, and then she's texting you back. Yeah, she yeah. texted madly. You know, yeah. texted madly, but to say, "What are you doing?" And I said, "You're just going to have to trust me. It's really yeah. great." Yeah. Um, you know, there are there are reporters who just are more natural audio storytellers than others, but we we are really we are really patient and want to work with anybody who has a great story to tell. I feel guilt because we haven't figured out how to cover entire swaths of the newsroom. We, right. We've really struggled with culture, right. with sports, with New York City. We, Is that because of your interest? or That's because we're, we're, we so quickly became a national show known for what was going on in Washington with the presidency and international affairs. Right. And so it just gets tricky sometimes to take such a, such a, such a break from the big news and the national news and the international right. news and burrow into something um, like that culture. seems weirdly off-topic. Off-topic, right, yeah. right. So you haven't gone into sports and or we, 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 To the degree we've done sports, we have done it around things like Russian um, doping. doping in the that Olympics. That's a very good one, yeah. We're, we're about to do a wonderful episode around, um, around the World Cup and how Russia... Um, got the World Cup. Okay. All right. So before we're done, we get to questions, uh, questions from the audience. Talk about the dailies daily. What do you do? What it, what, how does it go? Because you're planning in advance. There's five of them a week. So you yeah. sort of have a sense of what stories are also coming at the New York Times. We do. Yeah. Well, you know, because, we're, because we're a show inside the Times, we know what big stories are coming. Yeah. We can plan in advance. There was a period of about six months at the beginning of the Trump administration where we, anytime we tried to plan, he would blow it up. Mm -hmm. He would he would do something and yeah. he would blow it up and yeah. he would blow it up at late hours mm -hmm. uh, and we would have to rush in and make the show all over again. Right. But what happens is you know um, we come into the office around nine thirty and we attend the news meeting and if we have a plan for that day that isn't derailed by the news then there's not enough news we make a documentary style show for example interviewing this woman about her experience with asylum. Mm -hmm. If there's big news we just put everything aside that we have that we're making that's not news related and we just make a new show. Mm -hmm. And we try, to, we try to talk to our colleagues all day long about what's coming. And they right. pitch us. So we know that you know, Thursday of last week was going to be the Inspector General report. We knew that this day was going to be that. And, um, and sometimes we get lucky. A week and a half ago, 
Last week, we ran a five-part documentary series about Baltimore called mm -hmm. Charm City, which we're really, really proud of. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you. And we prayed that there would be no news. The secret was I was on vacation. Right, okay. Um, and and we were, I don't know why we didn't tell people that. Right. But I was away, and, um, and, every, and every night, because I was in Europe, I would track the beginning of the show and the end of the show. Right. Um, and we were lucky that there was no news. Anyway, sorry, back to the day. So we decide what we're going to do, and we have to make that decision by around 11 o'clock or noon, mm -hmm. hopefully. Mm -hmm. And then we start to, to go into a Google Doc together and draft questions and script. Sometimes we'll, we'll do a conference call with a reporter, just a brainstorm to figure out what the story is so we don't sit down and do an interview and they're like, what the hell, are you, you know, this, is not, this is, makes no sense. And we do those very quickly because reporters are on deadline. And report, the comic, our colleagues have been so generous. I mean, a couple of days ago, I know I'm bouncing around, but uh, Mark Landler was on two days in a row. We were interviewing him at three in the morning in Singapore, and he couldn't have been more delightful. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, it blows my mind how willing reporters are to accommodate us. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter Baker's our White House correspondent. He was on vacation in California when we needed him, mm -hmm. and he just made time in a hotel room to talk to us, yeah. which was extraordinary. Um, we try to record by two or three in the afternoon, and... And then it's done. And then that's the, that's in some sense the easy part. I mean, the hard part is that then that producers are, start building the show. They're getting tape, music, sound, cutting it, and then introducing all that tape. And then the show is being edited anywhere. The final editing of the show uh, is being done anywhere between, you know, 10 and 2 in the morning. By someone who's working. By an editor. Do you get to hear the last one? I don't hear the end of the show. In the beginning, we did. In the beginning, there were four, just four of us on this team. Now we're ten. Mm -hmm. We all listened every night to every episode because we didn't know what we were making. We mm -hmm. were trying to figure it out. Right. So we'd all be in the office till two or three in the morning. And is there any thoughts for another host? Sorry, I'm not trying to shove you out of your job. So the central flaw of the daily is Michael. From my perspective, Europe, right. is that there's one host. Right. And I don't know how that has sustained itself, mm -hmm. uh, except that it has, that it's the last kind of problem we have to solve. Mm -hmm. We needed to ramp up our staffing. We needed to get bigger so that we could sustainably make the show five days a week. And the last thing we have to solve is the, is the kind of second host, guest host issue. Right, what you have it in, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a great thing to You're do. You're not scalable, they say. In yeah, I'm, I'm one person. We're going to take another break for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back to this live interview with the New York Times' Michael Barbaro, the host of the popular The Daily Podcast. This episode is brought to you by MParticle, the customer data platform for every screen. And I'm here with co-founder and CEO Michael Katz. We know that uh, people are using mobile to research and transact more than ever before, which we've talked about. Um, what's the future of mobile commerce and how does MParticle help its uh, retailer customers like Overstock, Lily Pulitzer, and Jet.com? So the classic notion of a person moving through the funnel is fundamentally broken. Mm -hmm. People may start researching a company's product on their laptop, subscribe to that brand's email newsletter a few days later, get an email which they open on their phone, download the app and complete the purchase. You know, so right there, just trying to map the customer journey, you need to capture data from four or five systems. So brands need to create uh, consistent and personalized experiences across all these devices and systems. And so it starts with having a data platform 
that was built to ingest data from anywhere, mm-hmm. create a unified view of the customer, and then in real time sync that data out to all the various marketing and analytics tools that the company may use in order to create these experiences. So people are doing very different things all the time. So Absolutely. To be dynamic as they are using all these devices. For sure. Thank you, Mike Katz of MParticle. Where can we learn more about what you're doing? Go to www.mparticle.com or follow us on Twitter at mparticles with an S. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. All right, let's get some questions. Uh, for both of you, which do you prefer, uh, hosting your podcast or reporting and writing? I say these days, the podcast. I, I, think, that, I think that audio is the most powerful storytelling medium in the world. You can, you can actually almost break a story during it, like in doing an interview in a lot of ways. And yeah. you can... Um, I, miss, I, miss, I miss print reporting in the sense that I miss having three or four weeks to tell one story. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I, I mean, for me, the, it's The podcast. relentlessness of making a daily show is just, yeah. you know, if you're... Yeah. If I'm in a really bad Twitchy. mood, you're going to hear it. And yeah. I just, I, I miss having... The thing I really miss... What? Is just okay. having a little bit. Is, Are you going to talk about font again? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I miss the days that it, when you're a print journalist, I don't know if you all feel this way about your career, but in, in print journalism, if we're being honest, there's the day after a big story where you kind of get to prance around. Except that and, is so gone now. Yeah, it's like, gone story, with the web. The story news cycle is now... It's true, but I miss the day after the big story where you kind of got to just like be a little yeah, checked out 20, in the news. That was room. 25 years ago. Yeah, and I miss... <laughs> Uh, and now, and now and I've, been in, I've been in digital forever, so I can't take a shower, essentially, without <laughs> um, What celeb celebrities have you told that they listen to The Daily? Which have you been most excited about? What celebrities listen to? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, a, a number of them. And it's really, it's like dopely exciting when, they, when you right, find perfect. out who listens to the show. I mean, Judd Apatow listens to the show. We really okay. love that. Um, a lot of... Politicians listen to the show. Now I'm trying to think They're of all the names. I'm actually really bad at celebrities. Right. But um, but we have a little Google Doc of the celebrities we've heard have listened to the show. All right. <laughs> we just keep got, it. Because not like you're paying attention. No, we don't pay attention to it yeah. at all. Is there one you would love to listen to the show? Is there one that I would like to be listening to the show? Yeah. We we had a bet about whether Barack Obama ever listened to the Daily. Oh. We just think it's like his kind of show. Okay. <laughs> In terms of like it being like a thoughtful, you know. So he's sitting there playing basketball, yeah. doing some cool jam thing, yeah. and going, Michael, his voice is really slow. <laughs> his voice is really oh slow. Oh my God, I know I interviewed him, it was exhausting. Um, I once well, leaned he's into... the, I mean, it's like, it's the same thing. No. no. I mean, I'm not comparing myself to Barack Obama. <laughs> I, le- oh. I leaned in before the interview because I had a shorter amount of time, and I said, "You know, you talk in paragraphs, and it's not going to work for me." And, and he, you he, told him how to t- yeah, told the president how to talk right before the interview to unsettle him, and uh, and he <laughs> said, "I heard you were obnoxious." I'm like, "Yeah, that doesn't bother me." So, <laughs> so it worked. He obnoxious talked, is kind of your brand. He, it is. It is, and it's worked for me, and I've done rather well. Um, so, how do you? Um, I, I, but any other celebrity? So, Barack Obama's your. I thing. really. I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember. I'm being put on the spot, and I'm not. It's not. Coming to me. I'm going to see if I find it, find out if he listens to it. Okay, I'm going to try to find out that for you. That would be great. I just recently uh, got a note that Warren Buffett likes mine, so I'm very because he's, he's now interested well, in tech. How do you like that? I do. I'm going to go have lunch with him. I think about it because um, he's into tech these days. Um, how do you decide what to include in the show 
uh, when there's so much news every day. We just talked about that. We just, we just did talk about that. I mean, the you story... You have two stories, like DACA today. You have a million stories today. Yeah, today. well, today is a Thursday. So uh, today's a Friday, so we don't, luckily don't have to make a show. Right. Actually, the hardest days are, the hardest days are Mondays. Right. Because there's been three days, and a lot of news has transpired, and oftentimes it feels stale. And also, Monday is a day we like to put out a show that's a little more of a more documentary feature yeah, show yeah. because we've had a whole week to think about what to make. So we have a wonderful show coming up for So Monday. if you have like DACA and, and Korea, which, how do you pick? Uh, sometimes it's, it, it's, can we get a great guest? And yeah. is there sound? I mean, right. we are a show, yeah, that's true. we're showing audio. So if there's, mm-hmm. uh, if it's a competition, the Victorious episode will be an episode, uh, an episode whose subject involves a ton of sound. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're such geeks at The Daily. We love Senate hearings. We love congressional hearings. Because you, you can, there's a beginning and an end, and there's tons of sound. Yeah. And you can have somebody, one of our colleagues, come in and kind of narrate it. Right. Up will come the sound, and the sound will come down, and characters will come in and out. And I mean, the, we did two episodes around Mark Zuckerberg's. Yeah, you um, did with Kevin Roos. With Kevin Roos around his testimony in front of the Senate and the House, because it was just, it was such great sound. I mean, he, he sounded. Wow. Okay. You don't think so? Senator, we do not do, we do not sell your information, but they let him keep saying that. Mm-hmm. And didn't question him? I love that. <laughs> He's selling your information, just so you know, in a different way. Um, I, I did like that. I liked those. Shows. I thought it was a really good explainer of what yeah. was going on. Um, I think he, a lot of people thought he did well. Uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, he did okay. Because he, he, he didn't melt, apparently. Um, and I'm the one who made him melt the first time. So it was, I was sort of... So you've seen the melt. I've seen the melt. Um, but I thought it was because the bar was so low. They were terrible. Mm-hmm. They were just terrible. Our, our, our elected officials know nothing about anything. <laughs> um, about that, at least, for sure. Um, so what is your typical day? We talked about that. But what time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? That's a little personal. So the, people think... <laughs> People think we make the show overnight. We, re- we really don't. We, we finish You're the show done. in the early evening, mm-hmm. unless it's really late-breaking news. Very rare exceptions. I, I go to bed at midnight or right. one in the morning right. these days, yeah. and I get up at 7 or 8 in the morning. An example where that, where that wasn't true and, and, and kind of sucked was earlier this week, because of the time difference in with North Trump Korea. and Singapore, right. I was up at 4 a.m. because mm-hmm. that's when Don- President Trump was talking, and we needed to update the show. Yeah, well, this is a good one. Do you find that print journalists look down on you now? No way. Journalists are at the bottom now. Sorry. <laughs> right? Sorry. Go ahead. You answer in your own. No, I, 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 I don't know how to top that answer. Um, no, no they want to be on your show, right? I think, our, I think print journalists at the Times, yes, they want, they want to be on the Daily. They want their story to be on the Daily because they want a new way to tell the story. Yeah. And a lot of them love the challenge. One of the, the highest compliments my colleagues pay to the Daily is, I feel like I understand my story better now because I've mm-hmm. been on the show. I've thought about it differently. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, and actually, I'm going to tell it better in the paper now. Right, right. And everybody wants a podcast. Everybody wants Everybody a wants a podcast. Yeah, and there are a lot of podcasts there. Are. There. there are, but there's not a lot of as good... You know, there's a lot, but there's still the good ones really do stand out in a lot of ways. Yeah. But everyone does. It's like everyone has a Netflix show. Um, so how do you decide what else do you... Do you have a Netflix show? Not yet. <laughs> I'm in discussions. <laughs> I could be. Everyone has a Netflix show. It wouldn't be that hard. Um, I think Oprah just got one. No, an Apple show. She got an Apple show today. Oh. I think, yeah. Oprah, yeah. She's Oprah has, by the way, if, any given day, I, I do look at the charts, the podcast charts, once in a while. Mm-hmm. And I love when Oprah just does something and just flies to the top. Yeah. She's God. Well, <laughs> she's got some attributes, yeah, for sure. 
she's fantastic. What are you talking about? She's the best thing ever. Um, uh, I, 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 she, she probably has a podcast. I don't know. She how, how, how do you decide what else we need to know today? You kind of answered that one. Oh, that's the headline. Yeah, oh, that's yes. the headline. How do we decide? Here's what else you need to know today. It's the great, it's the great stories of the day that we didn't have time to tell. And right. also, is there sound? If there's no sound, then 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 <laughs> forget it. Right? Yeah, we'll do it, but it's really annoying. We spend. I actually love the headlines at the end of the show as much as anything we do. I just really love them. And I will spend a huge amount of time searching for the audio required to do it. And I, and I write them, and I find the audio, and I listen, and I log it, and, and I love it. I mean, we, um, yeah, I, I think it's a quirky little thing we do at the end of a show, and, uh, and, I, and I love hunting around for the great tape that we use. Cool. Um, what issue do you believe deserves more airtime from the media but is going largely ignored with Trump? Talk, I guess Trump talk. Yeah, because because he sucks up a lot of oxygen. Yeah. Uh, international affairs. I mean, I, and the, carbon monoxide. The Daily wishes we could be more internationally focused, but it's hard mm -hmm. because there's so much domestic news and it's so compelling. Yeah. So I would like us to do. I think we're going to eventually do a long series of stories about China and China's place yeah, in the world. Should. You know, what is China up to? What is its regional influence? Um, it has an infrastructure program that's all about essentially creating kind of a dependency on China and mm -hmm. over the long term, and that used to be the role of the United States. Now it's being adopted yep. by China. So I, I think we'd like to do a special series of stories about that. Would you do it from there? Would you do? I think we would work with our colleagues there, and we'd find stories there, but we'd probably do it. From but the not United take States. Michael on the road. That's an interesting question. Should I travel? Yes. Uh, it's just hard logistically to make the daily from the road. Although we literally just made an episode from like inside a cab. So? A uh, taxi cab. Okay. With a taxi driver. All right. So you could. So we could. Yeah, yeah. I think traveling would be fascinating. Good you think, we, you think we should? Oh, you, no, I've said this to you. I think I yelled it to you at the South. Get out of the studio. Get out of the studio. I think I did scream at you over a drink at South by Southwest. Because I think it's interesting for people to see how it's moving. Ira Glass does it. Lots of the NPR shows do it. They do. Yeah, I, I get nervous about making sure we're, we ha would have the right studio set up and yeah. the right logistics. Because you're a sound geek, as you've told us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right, it's interesting how The Daily takes a more storytelling conversational format when other news briefing podcasts are more newsroom style. Uh, was that part of the strategy? You did talk about yes. this. And did it happen organically from the type of pieces you were covering? Yeah, I mean, we wanted it to be real and not like an anchor. Right. And that's why when we started the show... We kept a lot of these quirky little tidbits because we mm -hmm. wanted reporters to be real. We wanted me to be real. Mm -hmm. And so we, we just said, this is not going to be a voice of God show. And I'm not going to narrate anything. Mm -hmm. If you listen carefully, one of the quirky things about The Daily is I don't ever, by and large, tell a story on The Daily. The story is told through the questions. Right. So the questions have to contain the right information so that you are being told the story through pure question and answer, mm -hmm. rather than me interjecting the way maybe an NPR host might and right. telling the story in my own voice to fill in the gaps, right. which is why that, that Google Doc system we have is so see, important. I have to listen. I'm not, if you I'm listen carefully, there's no kind of narration by me. It's, if it's not in the question and it's not in the answer, it's not in the episode, I'd argue which puts that, a huge burden I'd argue on the that you're an essential element of it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an, there is an anchor element to it. Yes. Absolutely. One of my favorite interviews was the one with the coal miner where uh, he turned things around on you and asked you if you ever visited a mine. Yep. How, did that, uh, how did that man in your interview make you rethink your role and responsibilities as a journalist? Did it influence how you reported future stories? Yeah, so this was an episode we did with, uh, with a coal miner in, uh, I 
think it was in Kentucky. Anyway, it was an interview that really threw me mm-hmm. for all the reasons I, to- I, I, I talked about before, which was after the election feeling vulnerable, you know, I think I successfully buried that for a while. Mm-hmm. And then we interviewed this coal miner and the coal miner turned the questions around on me. And he and started, was somewhere else and you were interviewing him. He was on the phone at home with his, with his voice literally full of black lung disease. Mm-hmm. You could hear him kind of heaving. And he was so proud of the work he did as a coal miner and the four children whose lives it had paid for and opposed to the regulation of the Obama administration. He wanted to explain why he loved this industry, why he voted for Donald Trump. And he just, he, he, not only did he turn the questions around back on me, he did it with so much generosity and grace that I started to get very emotional. And I think it's because I felt that he had exposed this still kind of open wound mm-hmm. of the election for me. Mm-hmm. And here was somebody who very much embodies the forces that elected Donald Trump saying, what do you really know, fancy boy New York Times podcast host? Right. And, and I, started to, I started to cry you in the interview. You didn't want to see him in person, though. It's not that I, no, it's not that I didn't want to see no, him. No, that would that have been better or it was fine? That's a great question. I don't think it would have been as emotional. I think it would have been... A phone conversation. Yeah, just the pure phone conversation in the darkness of a studio made that very emotional for me. Yeah, Terry Gross does that. She doesn't... Yeah, she doesn't even want to see people in the next room. Right, no, no. Yeah. Interesting. Which is, it's an interesting, because there is an intimacy toward, to the interviews when you have the headphones on. Yes. Else. What is your favorite episode uh, that you, so the crying stayed on the air, correct? I didn't listen. We kept, the, we kept my emotion, yeah, we kept the crying in the show. Yeah. Okay. Not all of it, I mean. Right. Because you, <laughs> so was, there was a copious weeping that went on for. I just think there was a point at which you were like, I get it. Okay, all right, okay, good. Very Oprah of you. Um, what was your favorite episode? Actually, does she cry a lot? Yeah, she does. What was your favorite episode uh, that you have done, or what episode are you most proud of? That could be two different things. We're going to finish these questions. I'm, my favorite episode is, is an episode, a special episode we did about kids. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was the kids' episode of the day. It was the first ever. It was about two girls. They are twins, mm-hmm. and one of them is in the Boy Scouts, and one of them is in the Girl Scouts which is, of course, pretty complicated because they're mm-hmm. both girls. But they have, a, they have an incredible set of parents who raise them to, to be very independent-minded. And when the Girl Scouts, when the Boy Scouts changed the rules and said girls could come in, she was ahead of her time and she had already joined the local Boy Scouts mm-hmm. troop. And she talked about what the response was from her sister and her parents and her friends and her family. And I just thought it was... A, it was the rigor and the narrative storytelling of the daily applied to children. And I interviewed these two sisters together and separately and interviewed their friends. And I thought it was just beautiful the way it came together. All right. Um, the episode I'm probably most proud of is one we did about a, the worker in a, um, in a steel plant. Uh, it was a woman named Shannon. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, an absolutely stunningly beautiful story that... that that made me and everybody else on the team cry. Just mm-hmm. hearing her tell the story of what it really means to, to be left out of this economy mm-hmm. and to, to lose your job. This is a company that was moved to Mexico. President Trump, in the campaign, claimed he was going to try to save the company and did not, did not, that, that, did not follow through. Yeah. And she believed so firmly that, that he was going to save the company. Yeah. And, and just that story was remarkable. Mm-hmm. More crying. Hmm? More crying. More crying. Mm-hmm. I, if you listen to The Daily five days a week... 
Well, let me You're, you're probably going to cry. All right. Obsessed one fan, day. but sometimes a week of episodes leaves me depressed. <laughs> what do you think of doing uh, more feel good stories? Yeah, to counteract the bad. Yeah. It feels almost like, have you ever gone to TED? TED Talks? Yeah. I know. Some of them. If you go to it, it's like, oh, I got to get off this planet immediately. <laughs> <laughs> because they're downers? They are. They're just, oh, God. Um, we hear that a lot. People, people want happy news. Mm -hmm. One of the great pieces of advice we got from an editor when we started the show was just remember that people want good news sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we have not really. You haven't provided that. For <laughs> I'll give you an example. Once, sometimes we end the show with headlines that are about news from outer space, mm -hmm. like twice or three times. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a satellite, you know, was let go and it flew off and we'll end it with some fun music or something. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll do things like that are that are. Yeah, that doesn't make me feel better about after the no. coal miner. <laughs> you know, a couple days ago, I, I, I got really excited that, that, um, that Time Warner was going to be merging with. You got excited by that? Yeah, because I knew anytime a, a company merges, I have a policy. I don't have a lot of say over the sound of the show, right. but I have a policy that we will use the theme music of the companies when they merge. And a lot of companies' music is not recognized. I didn't know companies had theme music. Well, um, Warner Brothers Pictures music. Oh, right, okay. You know, dun, 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 yeah, dun. I know, yeah. So that would, could be the end of the show. That made me so happy. That's, that's good news. That's yeah. happy. <laughs> You could have, we did that when Disney. We when, did that when Disney merged with oh, okay. uh, with 20th Century Fox. But they haven't done that. Michael, keep on the. I know, I know. The when they said they would. Yeah, yeah. When they said they would, but they're not. They're not. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. That's the. Big but question. we got to use the music. So that's. What happening. are you going to use for Comcast? We used AT and T music a little bit. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Good to know. All right. Good. Wow. I don't even think of sound when I'm doing these things. Um, who, uh, who? Who is exactly? You said who is your favorite reporter to interview and why? Which podcast have you done? The movie we already answered. I don't that. know how to answer the favorite. And editing is done. How much? Edit, who's your favorite? Guest. Yeah, reporter. Um, I mean, it would be like a crime to say that. But go ahead. I mean, break the law, Michael. It's crazy. I, I, I am in love with Matapuzo. I think he's just the nicest guy on earth. And mm -hmm. he and his wife listen to the show, and, um, and they are. He, he hosted a podcast. And he did audio work in college, and he is so sophisticated about audio that, he, I mean, he's, first of all, this is, he just won a Pulitzer Prize. Mm -hmm. He will come on the daily and say things like this. He'll say something, he'll, he'll deliver a line, and he'll be like, roll tape. I mean, he'll <laughs> set it up perfectly. Be like, and then Comey came to the podium. Roll tape. I mean, he's sort of like he knows how to set up audio for the daily, oh, wow. even though he's a print reporter. Yeah. Um, so I, anybody who's that game to work yeah. with us, yeah, um, is pretty great. And Maggie holds a very Maggie Haberman holds an incredibly special place in my heart because because we started off hating each other as oh. City Hall reporters competing for the same story. Oh, she worked for the Daily News. She worked for the New York Post. Post, okay. Yeah, and was very aggressive, and we would go, really? go at it. And, you know, you didn't credit my story, and I didn't credit, you know, and that kind of thing. Right. And then she came to work at the Times, and we've become very, very close. Yeah, she's a great reporter. She's an incredible reporter. She is an incredible, she's a friend of mine also. Um, she's an amazing, she's, you can also see her in the Showtime. Uh, are you in that? Are you in that? And the, the, for, the Fourth Estate came, the, the people who made the Showtime documentary for the Fourth Estate, they were in the Daily Studio all the time. We actually were really confused about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that they were in the studio, it took me a really long time to figure this out, only when the reporters in Washington were coming on the Daily. Oh, I see. Because the, the documentary really was about yes. our Washington Bureau yeah, and the Trump-Russia story. Yeah. So 
I, of course, mistakenly thought, like, oh, look at me. <laughs> Meriting this document. It was uh-huh. never about the day. Were you in it? Have you been cut? Like a couple scenes. Okay, yeah. all right. I haven't but really, it. it was in the service of telling the watch. I keep trying to watch it, and then I'm like, I don't care about reporters. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, think the, I think the documentary... Spotlight was good. Okay. <laughs> the documentary is a... The, 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 the message of the documentary is that, is that these, re- these reporters work 24 hours a day. Yes. I, I, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. It's not for you. So do coal miners. I don't know. It's fine. Okay. Um, what impact have you seen? You know what I'm saying. What Im- I don't love us becoming the story that much. Um, what you impact- don't like us becoming the story. I do not. I mean, that's part of the... I do not like it at all. I think we're being dragged is. into it. And it's... I mean, you host... We're worse for the wear. You host an events... Yeah, but I, I'm, I, I'm going to call a little BS on okay, this. Okay, call this, but it's not about Kara. It's about me interviewing Evan Spiegel or Sheryl Sandberg yeah. or stuff like that. But you have a personality, and, and I agree. I, I wish that journalism could be never about the journalist, but we have entered a phase, and I think it's a welcome phase, where people are curious about the journalist telling the story. They For are. the longest time, we pretended that we could hide behind these kind of big tablets we handed down every mm-hmm. day, you know, in the sweeping authority of our news organization. So we were going to tell you a story, and if you didn't like it, I'm sorry. And now I think people are demanding greater accountability and transparency. I think audio and what you do, no, they, areas, they, that's they, a part yes, of Yes, they it. want to feel a relationship with the reporter. But they want to understand where the reporters are coming from. They want to understand who these people are and how yes. they think. And I think anytime a journalist is really grappling with a story, then you're learning that they, that they take this job really seriously. Right. You understand how they do their job, how they weigh all the various pieces of information, and just how much thoughtfulness goes into the storytelling. I, I agree with that. I, and from one egomaniac to the next, let me just say, I love the attention, but I think we get in the way of something. So it, we, we have become the story in a way that's very damaging to journalism at some point. I think that's a, that's a big yeah, concern. At some point. All right, what Im- we're, we're, we're walking right into it, too. What impact have you seen, or do you... F- let me give you an example. John, um, who wrote Bad Blood, a great book about the Theranos thing, he just did his work, and he got yelled at and screamed at by the Theranos people. Yep. And, uh, John, um, oh, he's got, I can't remember. He has a French last name, and yes, I'm not going to dare pronounce gonna it, but I just it. bought his book. It's fantastic, but he just kept his head down and did the job and, and killed that company, essentially. What imp- And deservedly. Um, what impact have you seen or do you foresee podcasts? There's only two quick questions. I know you have to go at get on a train. What impact have you seen or do you foresee podcasts having on an increasing stratification of American political identity? Um, will we see a resurgence of moderates um, because or a of third podcasts. way? Yeah. I mean, that would, be, that would be an interesting outcome. I think that podcasts are all about empathetic listening. And I think... It's a really good way of putting it. That, you know, that shows like The Daily are about letting yourself... Letting people into your lives. Mm-hmm. You know, journalists or the characters in the story, you know, the Shannons or uh, the, the Merriams, you know, the, the, the woman from Burkina Faso who was, was abused by her husband. And it just inevitably engenders understanding mm-hmm. and humanity in a way that I think the rest of journalism is still struggling with. Right. I mean, sometimes we'll grab a single character and quote out of a story and turn it into a 25-minute episode of The Daily, and the emotional impact will be so significant. So much stronger, yeah. And so... I think people who listen to podcasts are a breed of, of empathetic people. And I hope that because of all the nuance and complexity that we're introducing into storytelling, that, that we're introducing a, a positive new force into the It also shows people want substantive world. things. Yes. Which but, is a lie that they don't. In the twitchy Twitter yes. world, people want to understand. Yes. Cable news is, is since I started doing the... I, I used to spend, I don't have a television at the moment, but when I watched more television... Um, 
I was less aware of, of how unnuanced cable news is. Yeah. And now because of The Daily, it just feels like Twitchy. night and day and weird to me. Mm-hmm. Along with Twitter and the social, uh, Twitter and social yes. media. Although, Although I, find, I find Twitter to be, Twitter's a very powerful medium for, for, for those of us involved in The Daily because it's such, a, it's such an early warning system that something is going on, right. that a story is big, and that we should be paying attention to it. Yeah. And also there's just a lot of, of audio on Twitter. There is. It's yeah, very useful. literally find it and borrow it for the daily. Yeah, it's a very useful cesspool. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's what it is. Um, but in any case, last question. Uh, do either of you sleep? No. I, I, a little. More than I used to. Mm-hmm. More than I used to. Really? Yeah, because we've gotten to a point where we, we make the show a little earlier and the final elements are done a little earlier. Um, I sleep more than I used to. And then last question, what's next for you? What would you want to do if you weren't doing this? I, I want to host The Daily for, for a long while. I mean, I, I love making this show. I love the way it's helped me reimagine storytelling. And, uh, and I'm struggling, actually, to, to understand if, if and when I would ever go back to, to writing again. At all? Yeah, it's I've, been... It's, if you had to, and they grabbed The Daily from your hands. Cold hands. Cold, yeah. Dead hands. Uh, yeah, of course. I, I would, I would, I would go, go back, back into journalism. Yes. That's a funny way of putting it. Go yeah. back into journalism. Well, no, but you're doing journalism. You know what I mean? Go back into... What are you saying? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, I, 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 I'm nervous. I mean, I'm, I'm an anxious person by nature. But so I'm nervous that I don't remember how to do it. Mm-hmm. That I've, that I've, I've hardly written this year. I do only pod, uh, podcasts and events. I, it's interesting. It's an interesting reason. It's because it's more satisfying. But I consider it journalism. Yeah, I do too. Um, so, but anything else you would do? What, would you see anything else? No, I, I really love this. I love this medium. I, I, I don't. I don't know where. I don't know where it goes. I mean, if you asked me two years ago, if, would I be doing this? Yeah, no. we were sitting there on the Trump train and thought. Yeah, you were... or you asked little New Haven Register deliverer Michael Barbaro oh, if he was going to ever do this. I don't. Horrible font-loving boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, thank Michael Barbaro. Thanks again to Michael Barbaro of the New York Times, The Daily Podcast, for joining me on this podcast. And thanks to the 92nd Street Wise XYZ program for hosting us. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. That helps them discover great interviews like this one. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. <laughs>